Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today I really want to talk to you about one of my books, Deliberate Leadership, that I co-authored with Dr. Mitch Javidi. You know, uh, Deliberate Leadership is our sister book to Why Aren't You More Like Me, and we talk about how your leadership styles affecting your credibility and results with everybody else around you. But before we get into this, I just want to encourage that today's show is for everybody. All of us have to interact with somebody <laughs> out there at some level or another, if it's as a parent, a significant other, um, most of us have jobs, or if we're a volunteer, we're hanging out with other individuals. If nothing else, we're hanging out with family or friends. And so today I just want to go, now some of this information you've heard before on different shows, but I really want to kind of bring it together into two or three different parts. But let's just frame this out first. You know, the research is very, very clear about the qualities and the capabilities and the condition of leadership in the marketplace right now. A study done by Sirix said, what percentage of individuals believe that their leader, their supervisor, the person that they report to is incompetent? And so what do you think that number is? Well, the response was 70% of individuals think that their leader really doesn't know what they're doing. And so there's lots of leaders who might be nice, lots of leaders who have some knowledge, but nearly three-quarters of them are not really making a positive impact with the people that report to them. Uh, when I did my MBA research many years ago, I did 40,000 pieces of data, and in that data was this question, what is the number one factor that affects staff morale or group morale in any kind of organization, not profit or nonprofit. And what came back, and I think this sort of obvious, was that it was the supervisor or manager that they directly reported to. Now, I didn't say job satisfaction. I said staff morale. So really, the work environment is mostly really influenced by the individual that you report to. So if you're a leader or a manager and the morale is low, then look no, for, no, look no closer than in a year because it's not about them. It's about your capabilities. I remember doing work with Chrysler for the better part of a decade, and we had the sole source contract to do all the soft skills. And we're, I was working with a dealer, very nice man, but what happened was he had very, very low morale, and a very high turnover, over 200% in his sales department. But he happened to be also not only the dealer principal, but the what they call the general sales manager in the auto industry. And I said, well, to the individual, I said, Mr. Dealer Principal, there's only one commonality to all the individuals in, in this high turnover. And I says, that's you. You're not very much fun to work for. You are not really an encourager of bringing out the best in others. So let's just go through today and talk about some of the research, but also what is it that I can do about it? What is it that I can own? And I just want to encourage you that you take 100% responsibility for the condition of the leadership personally or professionally and the impact that it has on you. If you're in denial, 
then that's your issue. Because if you can't, the one person that you can change is really yourself. Yes, we can encourage and direct others, but really it's our responses, our interactions, our capabilities, our skills that's going to affect others. Here's some other research for you. I've, I've sourced the or mentioned the Gallup research about what percentage of individuals are uh, disengaged from work globally out of the 142 countries, and the average was 87%. So only 13% of the population actually like what they do. Now that's average. So some companies, uh, countries are a little higher, and other countries are much lower, like Japan and China are around 6%. So you have nearly 95% of the individuals don't even like what they do. So that becomes problematic. You know, if we transfer that and say, okay, so why aren't they being successful? Well, they're not engaged. People are not working with them to be able to make sure that they are uh, living and working on purpose, which is all the work that we do here at CRG. So two, another research study says, what are the two primary reasons that leaders fail? And what do you think those reasons are? And those two reasons are, number one, is a lack of interpersonal skills, the ability to relate and connect with others, because really leaders, it's not about you, it's about how your team can perform, it's how well they can do things. And number two is uh, the reasons for failure in leadership is hubris. You know, I'm, I'm just constantly amazed on how some individuals, uh, it, just, it becomes a bit of a mystery, how certain individuals get into senior leadership positions because they're really kind of, uh, quite frankly, jerks. They are not, they don't have interpersonal skills, but worse than that, they don't believe that they need anything. They believe hubris, meaning ego, arrogance, is that they don't need any of this leadership development training. I am fine. So my encouragement to you is that all of us need to develop, all of us need to look at it, but if I have ego where I think that I'm better than everybody else, then that is going to erode any kind of credibility that you have with your staff, with your team. It doesn't mean that you don't have better skills or more experience. But to think that I'm better than somebody else, I mean, for myself, I have a lot of confidence on the content that I've trained on CRG tools where, you know, 3,000 presentations later. So I have confidence there. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm better than somebody else. It means that everybody brings their unique uh, potential to the marketplace. And so I'm not better than you, and you're not better than me. Now, if we were to flip that around and said, okay, what are the top three skills that help leaders to be successful? Now, there's a whole bunch of uh, micro skills or subsets to these three. But number one is this self-awareness. So Hubris means I'm okay. Self-awareness is that I am conscious of who I am in the moment. So in our leadership skills inventory, which I've mentioned in a series, it's a six-part podcast series, Transforming Leadership, the first two skills are grounding and centering. And so most of us are aware of one of the number one trends in leadership right now or in development and coaching is mindfulness. And so do mindfulness is actually, am I paying attention in the moment what my emotions are, what my thinking is, and am I even aware that my behavior right at the moment is having negative impact on others? I mean, that's one of the concepts we teach about credibility. 
And so credibility is your reputation in the marketplace, and it's based on what you do and what you don't do, and I'll get into that a little bit more here in a bit. But every single person listening to this podcast has a level of credibility with everybody that you know if you want it or not. Credibility is the price you pay for showing up. And so to think that, well, I don't need to pay attention to it, credibility is is really responsible to get people to engage, to be honest with you, to respond to you. If you don't have any credibility with staff, they're not going to be open. They're not going to be helpful. They're going to be guarded. They're going to be collected. Same thing with personal. If you're a parent and a child and there's no credibility between the two of you, then there's not going to be the interchange or interaction or interpersonal connection that you could have. So Self-awareness is very, very important, is number one in being an effective individual and or leader. Number two is self-mastery. So what that means is not only do I know who I am, I now manage myself. I mean, here's the problem is that most of us, we might even be aware that we're, pardon the French, screwing up. But if I don't manage that, if I don't contain that, if I don't, uh, master myself, then how could I expect others to master themselves? And so uh, self-mastery, emotional mastery, is that in any given moment, you have a choice about how you're going to respond. You know, I remember um, uh, just being in Philadelphia with Jack Canfield not that long ago, and Jack, of course, is the co-author of Chicken Soup and uh, wrote uh, or I sold, pardon me, 500 million copies of book. And he said, well, books. And he said, here's three things that you must embrace if you're going to be effective in life. And number one is take 100% responsibility for your condition. He says, I don't care uh, if it's you know 90% their fault. Take 100% and then you take control or you're in charge of your destiny. Number two is stop blaming. Number three, stop criticizing. And if you really want to move forward, those things are important on leadership as well, is that can I manage my responses? So the question is, many cases we are practicing um, negative responses to events and processes uh, rather than the positive. An example is, let's say you get frustrated with your computer or your, or your phone or some kind of software or a piece of equipment, and then you yell at it or bang it. Well, you're practicing anger response to an event, so, and it's right at the surface. So as soon as somebody else triggers you, then uh, you're not in control of that because you practice this uh, venting. You know, there was some, uh, a study done where you know, we have these new things called rage rooms, and rage rooms is where you go and you go and you just let it out and you smash things. People think that that actually helps them, but in fact, it's the opposite. You are now practicing anger. You are practicing uh, ineffective response, and this letting it out and venting is actually letting it into your system. It's not hindering because you you're not showing self-mastery or self-control in any way. And then number three, the number three item in this study was is a deep understanding of human behavior. You know, not only do you need to know yourself, you need to know these other individuals. What do those team members, what do those other people need and want? I'm not saying this is easy, but this is our responsibility. This is the quest. This is our work, if you may, is to know and understand others so that you can get the best out of them. And it was interesting. I was just working with a client, and one of the, 
one of the leaders wasn't aware that his behavior pretty well had the entire senior team ready to quit. He said, I had no idea. And one of the, one of the, the qual- characteristics, if you may, and I won't call it quality characteristics, is that this person had a critical or judgmental activity or, 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 or mindset or practice as far as a character. So if you want to erode, if you want to destroy, if you want to limit your effectiveness with others, then be judgmental in your conduct. Now, here's what I mean by judgmental. Judgmental is different than uh, holding people accountable for behaviors. Gentle, ju- uh, judgmental would be something like, oh, man, Ken, you're lazy. No, no, that's judgmental. You're talking to my personhood versus, Ken, it looks like you slept in today and you came late to work. That's not okay. See, notice the difference? One is around my behavior. The other one is around my personhood. You know what? You don't care. Well, that's a judgment. Here's the reality. And this is, uh, if there's anything that you're going to get out of this podcast, let me just encourage you around this because this will set you free. I know this is one of the most pivotal things for me to do. I am speaking about this now because I had an incident this week where I did not do this, is that if you are in a judgmental tone, your relationships with those individuals will never be at the level that they could be as far as personal and or professional. If there's a judgmental sort of environment where you're critical towards that other individual, says, you know what, you, you really never do a good job. You um, aren't very good at these different items. You're lazy. All these kinds of personhood, you don't care. Here's the reality. You don't know, and I'm going to be emphatic about this, you don't know the person's why. You can't be in their head, you can't be in their heart, you can't be inside their personhood to understand their motivation. We assume that we know why that person did it, but you can't know. As soon as you say, I think I know why Ken did that, you are in a judgmental zone. And so if I'm going to be a leader, I need to remove that judgmentalness. Now, that doesn't mean I don't evaluate people and I don't look at behaviors, but I can't look at personhood. I mean, all the time when we were doing marriage counseling, or if you look at any marriage research, is that a lot of times, and this is where we do it usually the most, is with our personal relationships, where we judge our significant other and what they did or didn't do. We think we know what they, the reason behind it, oh, they did that because they don't care. You don't know that. You don't know that. You think you know that. And I just want to be emphatic that I just pay attention today, tomorrow, this next week. If there's any habit that you want to start nurturing, you want to start developing, is to remove your judgmental tone. You want to erode motivation. You want to have people quit. You want to have people leave you in personal relationships. Then just be judgmental. judgmental. I'll guarantee it. And so it's one of the most – now, interesting thing in this society, everybody's judgmental. Everybody has this sort of Facebook – Uh, opinion about what other people do and their motivation behind it. They don't know. You can't know what is in somebody's head. You can't know what their motivation is. You can't know their why. So remove that from your mannerisms, your thoughts, your strategies. I didn't say it was going to be easy, but oh, look at the release. 
pay attention to how people will respond to you when you don't have a judgmental tone as part of it. Now, I started this whole podcast talking about deliberate leadership in my book, Deliberate Leadership, and it is now being used in law enforcement training around a new, it's new to me, but it's not new to law enforcement, but it's now being taught out there in the courses that we're doing with law enforcement officers called implicit bias. And implicit bias is that every single person listening to this podcast has a bias, has a filter, has what you think is appropriate as far as behavior, what the person should do or not do, and you judge them based on that. I do that. I get frustrated with individuals because of my leadership style and personal style of individuals who are too slow. It really kind of frustrates me. So we have our own biases. Now, personal style is one, or leadership style, which is our work here around personal style indicator and the uh, book, Deliberate Leadership really helps you understand that we have some inherent biases in how we see things. So if I'm going to be effective with others and self-mastery is important to me, then I must know what my personal leadership style is. And so if you get the Deliberate Leadership book, the Personal Style Indicator assessment is included with that book. And so I get grounded on who I am. Now, there are many assessments out there that try to measure, quote unquote, personality or personal style, which we don't believe give you merited uh, feedback or thoughts. But in our model, we help you to understand what are those biases from a learner-friendly point of view. So we've talked about this in sales. We've talked about this in interpersonal communications with other individuals as well. And so we just ask that question is, you know, what are our biases? So if I understand, if I become self-aware of what is my personal and my leadership style and how is that affecting how I lead others? And so we talk about a three-step process to be able to build credibility with others. And so these three parts is, first of all, I need to really know who I am and, uh, you know, what do I bring to the table? We talk about it in sales as your selling style. We talk about in leadership is your leadership style. How do you prefer to respond or react with most, with most people in most situations, which includes time, people, tasks, in situation, uh, time, people, tasks, and situations. And so that quite, so that's not right, that's not wrong, that is just your leadership style, style. It has implications in terms of how you will interact with others, how you would um, uh, deal with certain issues. I'll give an example. There was a leader that we were working with recently, and that leader is mostly interpersonal harmony. And that interpersonal harmony means that they want to avoid conflict. They don't like dealing with uh, difficult decisions, and even though they are the leader of this organization, and so they're one of the the growth points for this individual is develop the skill of assertiveness. Now, I didn't say aggressiveness; I said assertiveness because the sin of omission affects your credibility as much as what you do. So. Um, uh, one of the stories that I've told, I think, on a podcast at different times is when we first got married. Brenda, my wife, was a, a teacher and a university ESL instructor for some time, and we had bought a, a townhouse at an open carport. I'm sitting, sit, sitting at the kitchen table. This, we've only been married about three months. We've now been married by, for 25 years, by the way. And so as part of this um, 
uh, me sitting there about 9 o'clock at night as she came back from teaching the college courses. I'm sitting at the table reading something. She pulls into the parking lot. I see her at the window. I wave. She gets into the car. Her arms are full of books. And then she comes through the front doors, and she's quite upset with me. Why? Well, I didn't get up and open the door. And so I was not being self-aware or conscious that that had some impact. Now, was I sitting there and meaning to offend her? Was I meaning to not build relationship? No, not at all. But what I was not paying attention is that by not doing it, I had affected that relationship. So yes, I do get up and open doors now. I'm trying to pay attention to it. doesn't mean that I don't miss things, but we have to be conscious of what, what you don't do equally impacts what you do. As I mentioned around this interpersonal harmony leader, let's say I am leading somebody and I'm leading a group and there's somebody in the team who is not really following policy and I'm not doing anything about it. Well, the new policy is you don't have a policy and your credibility with all the other people who are following the rules is now being eroded because you're seen as an incompetent supervisor or manager because you're not willing to deal with the hard issues. You're not willing to deal with can this, the employee who is not following, not complying, and disrupting everything. You know, one of the research items is never underestimate the power that a negative, toxic person on your team can do to erode the entire team. I mean, these are things that you need to deal with right away. This is no delay, please. You need to hold them accountable. And if they are, have character disorder, which we've talked about before, where they and character disorder was, it was in Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, is that if they're blaming everybody else, then they don't take any personal responsibility for the condition. And so the likelihood of them train, uh, changing is pretty well uh, nothing or very low. So in that case, you need to make a decision. And you have three primary decisions in leadership or any kind of environment is that, and these are the, really the only three you have. First of all, you accept the condition, you accept the person, you accept the performance, you accept the behavior. That's one. Number two is you get the person to change the behavior, adjust the, the performance, adjust their conduct. <clears throat> or number three, you change the person. There are no other choices. So when you distill it down, they said, listen, am I willing to accept this kind of behavior from that person for the next year or two years? And if your answer is no, then you have leave two, which is they either adjust their behavior, they get better, or you have to change them. So that is really in a conversation that you have with that individual as far as moving them to the next uh, level so that everybody can perform and do a great job. So don't underestimate the power of a negative person on a team, an organization. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean uh, that includes volunteer stuff. A lot of times we get volunteers who really aren't a fit for the role of responsibility, and so that's something that we need to consider as well. If we think about you know, deliberate leadership going further, not only do I know my personal style, the next thing is I need to understand your personal style, because if I have implicit bias, if I have a preference, then you do too. I need to understand what that is. I need to be aware of that. What are your internal motivations? What drives you? What upsets you? What is it that you prefer? And if I don't know that, then I'm really not being a student of human behavior, which we said is one of the top three characteristics of successful leaders. So if I don't know what my other people, who they are and what they need, then that means I am not developed as a deliberate leader. 
And so just demanding from other individuals, we know that that's not going to get the performance that I need or want. So in our credibility model, we talk about translating. Translating is paying attention to the clues to what other people, who they are. Now, in teams, we always get the teams that complete the personal style indicator, and then we have a discussion so that we know, I know what your scores are, you know what my scores are. We do um, a sharing of that. We, with permission, read each other's uh, assessments and insights. And then from there, we have a deeper understanding. I'm sharing with you what I believe, my own self-perception, of what's most important to me. Now, if you don't have that chance, and maybe it's with a volunteer that you are not, that somebody hasn't completed the personal style indicator, <clears throat> maybe it's with a customer, maybe it's with somebody else, then we teach through the PSI model how to read and pay attention to other people's behaviors and what they're saying to us. You know, people are constantly leaving us clues about what's important to them, uh, how they like to be treated, and what their personal style is and what it's not. But the reality is most people aren't, don't know how to read it, don't understand, aren't paying attention, are ignorant about whatever that process is. So you know, knowing the four dimensions that uh, CRG has in deliberate leadership, understanding the PSI model and the, the three criteria, then you can translate and understand what that person needs and wants as far as their style. Now, number two, we say in our model it's called suspending. You know, suspending, I'm going to suggest, is the most difficult thing to do in life. And what, here's what we mean by that. It is, taking your, it is taking your needs, your implicit bias, your preferences, and setting them aside for a moment in deference to the other person that you have with you. It's the opposite of being self-centered. It is the most difficult thing for human beings to do, is to set aside or suspend my frame of reference. Now, the only way to do it is to, first of all, know what my frame of reference is, so I need to know myself, and then I need to consciously choose to defer, so I'm managing self. This goes back to the second skill set that the most successful leaders have is that I know I have self-mastery. I am in control of self rather than my style is in control of me. My style, my biases are not an excuse for my behavior. And so a lot of times, well, I'm just made that way. Well, that's bunk. That's irresponsible. And all of us will use it. I have used it. But that doesn't make it right. It just is saying that I'm, this is my bias and I'm going to keep it and I'm going to be self-centered and I'm not going to honor you first. So suspending is the ability to not be hooked, to not get uh, worked up. You know, when uh, Dr. Anderson, who founded CRG, who uh, taught at the local university for nearly 40 years and taught the, crim, the leadership component of the criminology degree, and when we asked this, and because we're doing, you know, through IAPS.com and Mitch Javidi, we're doing lots of law enforcement training in the U.S. and Canada and other uh, places around the world, Australia, uh, the U.K., is uh, we, we reference or we ask this question, what is the most dangerous place for a police officer to go into, generally speaking? And people think about it for a while. And the most dangerous place for people to go into is a domestic dispute. Why is that? Well, because they're unpredictable. 
And so here's the research around that. Dr. John Gottman, who created the the he has the Gottman Institute in Seattle, Washington, the United States. And he did some research with couples where he had them sitting down in chairs across from each other, and he created a thing called a gigolometer, which really is a motion sensor on the chairs. He put uh, blood pressure cuffs on them. He put EKG. He did videotapes. He did sweat analysis, all these kinds of things in terms of skin temperature. And what he did is he had these individuals get involved in a discussion over something that is a central conflict point. And so that conflict point would got people worked up. And here's what John proved through his scientific research, is that once our heartbeat goes over 100 beats per minute, non-athletic, we are no longer rational. I mean, have, has that ever happened to you where you lost your temper, where you got worked up, and then you said and did something that you regret later? And why is it that we give four-year-olds a timeout? You know why? Because they're out of control. You can't talk to them in a rational format because they're all worked up. So number two, developing credibility and being a deliberate leader. So I'm translating. I'm understanding who you are. But number two, suspending means that I don't get hooked. I am able to manage my response. Now, I'm not saying that what the person did was okay. I'm not saying that what the person did was not offensive in some way. But to be offended and let yourself get worked up, in other words, get hooked. Have you ever heard of road rage? So those of you listening, have you had a total stranger cut you off in traffic and all of a sudden you get all worked up and angry and then you do stupid things? And so recently a friend of mine, <laughs> he, he let that get a hold of him. And guess what happened? He got in a car accident because he let road rage, or he didn't suspend, get in the middle of it. You don't know this person that it's a total stranger. And so we have all kinds of examples in life where we have triggers where we don't suspend. So suspending is making sure that we don't get hooked. We stay grounded. We stay centered, regardless of what the person does or doesn't do. You know, one of the best books on suspension and understanding that we have control or are in charge is Dr. David Burns feeling good. And so uh, David has a quote in his book. He says that nobody offends you unless you let them. Every bit of irritation and frustration that you feel towards others is self-induced. Nobody frustrates you. Nobody ticks you off. Nobody uh, gets you irritated unless you let them. And so can you stay grounded and centered? And that is what we call suspending. And that, I said, was the most difficult. I didn't think it was, uh, said it was easy, but it's worth it because if I have self-mastery, then I'm not going to let the environment affect me. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I'm not going to let an event tick me off, take me out, and then for me to do irrational things. That's why even in John Gottman's work with couples is that, he teaches that if you're over 100 beats per minute, both of you, you need to separate and have a time out as adults because you're going to say and do things that you're going to regret. So you need to do, as he calls it, self-soothing. You need to chill, man, before you get involved with this conversation. Get below that 100 beats per minute because when it gets over 100 beats per minute, you have this flush of chemicals and you are no longer in control. 
Now, the last item, and then, of course, this is just a quick review for you, and it's in the book, Deliberate Leadership. So my encouragement is that you would get it, you would read it, you would study it, you would make it really something that you become a student of leadership, your leadership style and the student of other people's style for you to be more effective with them. And here's the reality. Every single person on the planet has a leadership style. Every single person on the planet that you are leading has a personal or a leadership style. And so this is basically unavoidable. They're like every person, doesn't matter what culture, where you're at, this is biophysical in nature. And that's one of the implicit biases that we have. So the last one is style shifting. And so we have an entire grid that's in the book, and we talk about the different dimensions, needs, and wants. But what we mean by that is, I know who you are. I'm going to get out of the way, which is step number two, suspending. And number three is, what does Ken need from me right now that build relationship? I'm not saying that you do it naturally. I'm not saying that it's something that is inherent to you. But you are making a choice to respond in a certain way to be able to build relationship with that person intentionally, deliberately. That's why it's called deliberate leadership. A lot of times people are in leadership by accident. Things happen. They have no idea how they offended the person, why they offended them. They don't even know uh, what motivates that other individual that just kind of show up. And that's one of the things that we noticed in many, many organizations is people that are promoted into supervisory and leadership position, managers positions with no training, no development. And so I was good at a certain thing. All of a sudden I'm in this position and I might get the supervisory or leadership or management training months or years or never down the road. Well, it really should be the opposite. If I'm going to lead others, I need that training first. So style shifting is that I now become a student of style, and I understand what you need, how you need to respond. And as best as I can, I will adjust my approach because I respect and I honor you, and I am a skilled, deliberate leader, where many other people is just an accident, or in fact, what you do causes more harm to the relationship than good. And so we need to... And that's the last one in the leadership items, is that we need to deeply understand human behaviors and what motivates others. Because leaders, if it's a family unit, a non-volunteer unit, or a company or organization of any sort, is that you need to understand what motivates that team. Is that team. It's not about you. It is about those individuals. How can you work with them? How can you create an environment, a job description, a... Uh, outline, a process that serves them. Now, here's the flip side. Not only do you benefit by having these skills, but what would it mean if you developed your entire team with these same, same skills? What would it mean if every team member knew about themselves so that they didn't let themselves get taken out? What would it mean to them if every one of them suspended and didn't get taken out and started to pay attention to those events that trigger a negative response in them, that they have practiced their whole lifetime, that they now need to reverse. And what would it mean if all of them paid attention to other people that they're working with, and then they decided to adjust their approach to serve them? Wouldn't that build credibility? Wouldn't that build relationships? So I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, that you would consider getting the Deliberate Leadership book. Uh, it's on our web website. It's online uh, onlinedeliberateleadership.com. Boy, did I get excited today. I'm sorry. Just all this energy that's going on. And I thank you for it, you know, listening to just all the information around leadership. But this applies to my personal leadership too. 
I mean, if you're going into an interview, if you're going and interact with other individuals, if you're trying to date somebody, you're going to have to understand, you know, who are you? And what does it mean as far as interacting with other individuals as well? And so this is really non-negotiable. And so if you want to learn more, go to onlinedeliberateleadership.com or you can always contact us at crgleader.com where we have our website. You know, at the end of every show, one of the things that I ask you is if you like what we're doing, I'd sure appreciate and um, very honored if you can share it, if you can pass, pass it forward or move it forward or forward in whatever way or tell other people about it and how they can benefit from the content that we're sharing here today. And so I thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Thanks for exploring the Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.